Hello, and welcome to Don't Pee on Your Leg and Other Scientific Misconceptions, where we talk about scientific misconceptions we all have, and we hope that you learn something new about the world. I'm here with my co-host, Margaret. Wear your dang mask, Hanslick Burton. And I'm here with my co-host, Camden Goldenchild, Hanslick Burton. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. show! Our first segment every week is where we share something we are excited about. Margaret, since you're not the golden child, you go first. <laughs> um, so I have two things. First of all, I'm really excited to say hello to Anna, who Hi, is Anna. Um, one of our listeners. She told us that she listens while she makes masks. She makes, what, like 200 masks a night? Something wild. Yeah. Anna, write into the show and let us know. Yeah. Give us an average. Show us a spreadsheet of data over time of how many masks you're making. Um, But hi, Anna. Thanks for listening. And then the other thing I'm excited about is my garden. And by garden, I mean the six pots I have on the side of the house since we don't actually have space for a garden. But those little pot gardens, that's not the right way to say that. Marta's Uh, going to jail. (laughs) She's going straight to jail. Thank you. No, um, they have yielded... One zucchini, and it looks like there are two more that are growing. And baby my zooks. little baby zooks and my tomatoes are doing well. They're definitely not ready yet. But and the same thing can be said of my little chili peppers. So I love them very much. They have been my pets during quarantine, and I I do love them. Kevin, what are you excited about? Um, well, last week I went to my first eye doctor appointment that was because I think I needed to go and not because I took a baseball to the face and broke all my bones in my eye. Which has which, also happened. Which happened once five years ago. Um, this time I went just because I was like, oh, my vision feels a little different. Um, turns out I need glasses. And yeah. That's <laughs> that's what I, you're excited about? I don't know. In, in quarantine, what I'm excited about is also just what happened this week. That's a good point. That's a good point. Now, I want to do provide the context that Camden, when he says he needs glasses, the eye doctor specifically said, you don't need need these to legally drive, and you don't need to wear them all the time. So Camden's getting glasses light, like the diet glasses. Is that why I'm the golden child? Um, I didn't think about that when I made that nickname, but yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm not bitter as a glasses wearer since I was 13 who needs them to see. Write into don't pee on your leg at gmail.com and tell us about what your glasses prescription is. Yeah. I'm really getting into it. Yeah. So we'll see if Camden is as excited as he says he is. I, I'm excited for you. I think it's, I'm, I'm happy you're going to be able to see better. That's the point. Thanks. That is the point. And that is why I went. <laughs> Turns out you should go to your eye doctor more than once every five years. I learned this, and now I'm an adult. So, friends, it's been nearly 40 episodes, and it's really exciting because Margaret and I have so many more, so very, very many more misconceptions Mm -hmm. to bring to you. Um, And we also have a lot of cool ideas on how to keep making sure things feel fresh, feel fun, are interesting and above all educational. 
we just want to keep this relationship with you, our listeners. Just we want to keep it feeling yeah. like you know the we're, first the first couple dates. Yeah, we're always on date two with you at Don't Pee on Your Leg. And in the spirit of trying things new, <laughs> I'm going to roll out a new segment and see if it sticks. Margaret. Yeah. Welcome to the segment. What is that sound? Thank you. I only learned about this segment when I looked over our draft of our, our outline of our, our episode. Yeah. So I am really going to be experiencing it with our listeners. And if you listeners have a way to create a fun, catchy, uh, what is that sound hook? Send it to us at don't pee on your leg at gmail.com. So how does this work, Camden? Uh, so keeping the spirit of this show, one of us will research something that the other one doesn't know. Mm-hmm. In this case, I'm gonna I researched slash found a sound. Okay. And in the spirit of the show, it is in the natural physical sciencey world. Okay. It is something related to that. It is in fact, now that I'm thinking about sound, I'm trying to think of what sound I could ever find that doesn't relate to science. But that's right. beside the point. Yeah, because sound is science. Sure. Um, but I'm going to play you a strange sound, or just a sound you may not know. Okay. And you just tell me what you think it is. I'm and excited. I'll let you know what it is, and we'll just move on. I'm excited. So welcome to What Is That Sound? I'll play it one more time. Margaret, first impressions? It sounds like a combination of a like the end of a dial-up modem sound and also someone scraping chalk on a blackboard. One more time. Okay. I feel like I've heard the sound. Maybe. Oh. You probably work somewhere where something could have made this sound before. Is that a hint as to yes. it is a, at least a what? Animal. It is an animal. Is animal. Is it a gull? No, it's a no. little animal. It's related to birds. A tiny dinosaur? Uh-huh. It is a tiny dinosaur. <laughs> it's a tiny bird? It's a gecko scream. What? Yeah. What? So... What is that sound? It's a gecko scream. Can you hear it one more time now with that context? Yeah. Listen for this little gecko who does not like being touched. That is amazing lung capacity. Uh, this this little guy's so little. Look at him. Let me see. Uh, hold on. No, 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 no. I'm attached to the oh wall. Oh, my gosh. He's so little. He screams so loud. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, that has been What Is That Sound? Don't Get Exotic Pets, Friends. Starring a little gecko. Wow, amazing. Strong start, Camden. So do I have to do that next week? Yep. Pick a sound? You're Ooh, next week. I'll You're be next thinking. week's sound captain. No. Nope. captain of sound. Okay. We'll talk about it. Write in to don't pee on your leg at gmail.com <laughs> and tell us what the person choosing the sound should be called. Um... All right, let's head into the main segment of the show, the misconceptions. Every week, we'll each bring a new scientific misconception to share, explain, and discuss. As a note, of course, each co-host researches their misconception on their own and brings it to the podcast. The other co-host has never heard it. Uh, This is, of course, to make sure 
that things feel very light and like a discussion where the other person doesn't have to feel like they need to prepare anything and can learn alongside you, the listener. And I'm very scared because, Margaret, we did not share one word this week. I don't think it's the same. I also feel strongly it's not the same. So I found a website called Random Thing Picker. Gosh dang it, Kimmin. This is the first time I've brought a real coin. Oh. No, no, no. We can do yours. We can do yours. Just be aware that next week we have an actual coin to flip. Okay, so how does a random thing picker so work? I can just type in two things mm-hmm. called Camden and Margaret. Mm-hmm. And then it I just, just picks it. It just picks it. Okay. So I'm going to pick it. Go for it. It says Camden. Do you need Ugh. to see it? No, I believe you. Oh, I random trust thing you, picker. Honest. I don't know how. Okay. You, All right. You are <laughs> behaving in the laws of the universe. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. Here I'm we excited go. to. I'm a little nervous now to hear your misconception because we did not share one word clues. So, Margaret, uh-huh. I want you to imagine okay. we go to a board game store. Oh, this is not mine. Well, as you know, my I don't start with the misconception. <laughs> the misconception is that board games aren't made of boards. Anyway, Margaret. Yep. I want you to imagine we go to a board game store. We Love see to. we see a new game. Okay. Looks fun. Okay. We buy it. Okay. We come home. Uh-huh. And we want to play it. Yep. How would you learn how to play that game? I would have you read the instructions and then tell me. Okay. Or alternatively, I would have you watch a YouTube video and then tell me. Interesting. What about just playing it and just seeing how it goes? That seems chaotic. Okay. <laughs> Would you personally rather read it or watch it a little video of someone doing it? I would rather watch a video. Okay. Do you think that is because oh, here you are we naturally go. predisposed to watching here we and go. learning better. One of Cameron's favorite misconceptions. Today, Margaret, we are looking at <laughs> learning styles and whether they are actually real or a Not. misconception. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's finally happened. It's the day finally has happened. finally come. Margaret, why do you say finally? Because... Every time, I'm trying to think of like the the most recent time that this has happened, but every time we're in a situation where someone says, well, I'm really more of a visual learner. Camden, I see something die in his eyes. That's so true. Um, That's why I need those glasses. This has been, <laughs> this is, this has been a thing of yours, like a pet peeve of yours for a very long time. Yeah. Particularly because I am in the field of education. Mm-hmm. I've been a teacher for a long time and it. I will say one study in Nature, the journal Nature, found over 90% of teachers believed believed in learning styles mm-hmm. in some way. I think I was, yeah, I think I was taught the learning styles oh, in school. I yeah. think in one of my early, early education classes at uh, the school I did not graduate from, um, not taking shots at he, the he University of Kansas. He, yeah. He transferred. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> I did I did graduate. I yeah. <laughs> legally can have my teaching license. Um, yeah, I was taught about it. So, yeah, it permeates everywhere. Yeah. Um, Rasmussen College, calling you out, was the first result when I Googled learning styles. Uh, they say there are four. Care to guess what they are? I will say really quickly that learning styles is um, Harry Styles' little-known brother. I'm furious, listeners. 
She's looking at me laughing like she thinks this is a joke. Do you think this is a joke, Margaret? No. Right. This is a little. This is a right. little. Margaret. So the types of learning styles. Yep. Oh, boy. Um, visual. One. Kinesthetic. Two. Aural, like A-U-R-A-L. Auditory. Like auditory. Yeah, sure. Okay. Three. Um, tactile? Is that in kinesthetic? It's kinesthetic. Um, what's the one where you need to read it? Read it. Reading. Oh, reading. Reading and writing. Okay, reading and writing. Um, those are the four. Yeah. Uh, what style is delegation, as I mentioned? Learning style. <laughs> Wait, to delegate someone else to learn it? Yeah, like when I asked you to learn how to play the game. I think me. in that case, <laughs> eventually I told it to you. That's true. For I play games with you. <laughs> that's true. If you mean delegate your learning and other methods, that's called cheating. Mm, mm, it is mm, very mm. not good. Mm. Um, learning styles. I, I think just by saying learning styles, people knew what they were talking about. And I'm sure many of you at some point have been told or have thought, well, you know, I do better. learn better mm-hmm. visually or, you know, I just, I like reading. Like if, if you, if I want to read about like, or if I want to learn about history, I just, I would rather read it. I want to hear someone talk about it. I want to watch a video about it. Or yeah. Or vice versa. Um, yeah. There's just, I'm sure we've all done that. I've done that because it, again, it permeates everything. It's so easy to say, well, I'm more of an auditory learner. Right. Um, so why do so many people believe this? One, well, do you want to take a shot at why do you think why do you think this because is the case? It it feels true. For example, yep. if somebody was like, Margaret, what's your learning style? Even though I know it's not scientifically accurate, there's it's not evidence based, I would say like visual, I would say. Yeah. Because it feels like if someone offers me choices, I'd rather watch something yeah. than than So there's some anecdotal other, evidence. Yeah. We like we have think there's been times where we've learned better through watching Mm -hmm. or reading something. And that's, that's, Oh, that's my learning style. That's how I learn best. Um, another is that it's, it makes us feel like individuals. Um, that's true. We don't all learn the same way. Um, which is true ish to some extent. There are ways that many people learn that is similar. Mm -hmm. Um, and it feels also kind of like a personality quiz. It does. Everyone loves those quizzes that tell you something you're a bot, you're an orange, I'm gonna, you're... I'm going to real quick look up to see if BuzzFeed has done a learning style I'm quiz. Sure I'm sure they've they done have. more than one. Hold on. Um, you keep talking. I'm going to look But people up. like to identify by types. Right. They like to find other Cate- people who where are... Where humans like to categorize. Yeah. Things. And I get that. It's fun. Um, but it's not fun when it's not true. Um, another piece of anecdotal <laughs> evidence that comes out here is that people say they are a certain type of learner... Because they probably have past experiences with not learning something. Yeah. Um, I, as a teacher, while I cannot speak for all teachers, would like to personally apologize for past teachers who may have taught you in a way that did not work for you. Thank um, you. Your third Apology grade, not accepted. <laughs> your third grade math teacher who you were convinced you just couldn't do math because they had convinced you you weren't good at auditory processing probably just wasn't teaching the right way. It's not that you can't listen and learn or watch and learn or do and learn. It's just that you may not have been in a class in some place where like you just had good like learning experiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, There are good and bad ways to learn. 
Um, but that doesn't make learning styles a real thing. It's a deflection from past experiences where we didn't learn. Um, and I just want to start first that obviously there are people who really do a problem processing certain inputs like yeah, absolutely. seeing or hearing um, tactile. And of course, those are real. And part of learning is understanding how to make learning accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to talk today just about when those things are standardized, do people learn in one way better than the other? Can I interrupt you briefly to yeah. mention that um, you'll be pleased to know there is only one learning style quiz on BuzzFeed. It is which learning style is best for you, and it is sponsored by Discover Student Loans. Great. Uh, <laughs> Your yeah. two favorite things, Great. learning styles. And student and loans. student Just loans. drive a stake through. <laughs> yeah, well. Anyway, um, before I keep going, citations include Professor Richard Bailey, who works for Frontiers in Psychology, is a psychologist in Berlin, um, Vanderbilt, Scientific American, and The Atlantic. And we'll get to a couple others in a bit later, too. Um, Margaret, I want you to think back to school. How did you prepare for tests? Um, I based my whole self-worth off of the grade I was going to get. How did you prepare for tests? um, Not how did tests make you feel? (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Really going back to school. I would listen to the information being told to me by the teacher or like read the required materials, take notes. And then I would usually like write my notes again, either type them or like write them with a pencil or pen again um, to try to like cement them in my head. Okay. How did you know if that worked? Because I seemed to retain it. And then for the, for the quiz or the test. Yeah. And then the evidence was you did well in the test, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you ever change how you prepared in high school or college? Like were there ever times where you learned that you didn't do, that something didn't work for you or something worked a little better for you? Not that I can remember. I think it was just like a lot of rereading and... So you never really changed your studying strategy from like middle school up to college? No. Interesting. Partially because I feel like that would take a lot of work. Okay. Because like say that I was, you know, reading a book on, I'm looking right now on my shelf, like the American history of theater. Yeah. I can't like, I'm not going to make myself visual aids without a lot of work or something kinesthetic without a lot of work. Okay. You've got to free yourself from the learning style. How about like working with a group? Did you ever find that that worked or didn't work? Yes. Did you try that? Yes. Did that work for you? No. And so what'd you do later when you need to study? By myself. Yeah. You just went back <laughs> to by yourself. So what I'm trying to get you to process is reflection on how you learn. Mm-mm. This is called metacognition. Basically. How we know what we know. You think about how you learn, reflect on how you learn, and then you get better at learning because you constantly are monitoring your own learning. Mm-hmm. This is ha- this is just natural growth. I see what you were asking for now. You, I thought yeah. you were trying to steer me towards nope. like. Wasn't, wasn't trying to get you to catch. Sure. You're trying to game the show. <laughs> Um, but the idea that you can get better at learning through reflection is real. And this is where people get tricked into thinking I'm better at visual learning or I'm better at reading Mm -hmm. through learning, like writing notes because writing notes was the way I did well Mm -hmm. and that sticks with them. So that must've been the thing that I'm just good at. I see. I see. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So the thing that does work, metacognition, thinking about how you're successful and improving on that works. The actual thing you did might not be the reason that you're getting better at it. Mm -hmm. Your version for studying worked for you. Someone else's version of like making visual aids, writing, drawing these things, or doing something more kinesthetic might have worked for them equally as well in a different parallel Margaret universe. Mm -hmm. Um, But they iterated on that the same way to improve. Now, I know you're going to say, some people might be saying like, okay, okay, okay. But I can't learn pottery through audiobooks. Like, truly, I would have to, like, do some things kinesthetically. Yeah. Or some things visually. Right. Of course. Obviously. (laughs) It is not saying you learn all the same ways exactly the same. The idea, though, is that there is not one that is better for a person than another. And the subject matter obviously matters. So, I am saying, and I'll get here, learning styles aren't a thing. They are absolutely 100% not a thing. If you are thinking, wait, every, like, you mean some people just learn everything better through, like, watching or listening? Like, no, it's not a thing. The biggest literature review published uh, was, there's a huge one in 2009 from the Psychological Science and Public Interest Journal. And they said, Although the literature on learning styles is enormous, they found virtually no evidence supporting wow. the idea that instruction is best provided in a format that matches the preference of the learner. Mm. And that's the big thing behind learning styles is that people's preference is how they think they learn best. Yeah. Um, many of them, many of those studies had weak research design, or in often cases, they found results that flat out contradicted that learning styles were a thing. Not only was there no evidence, sometimes they found evidence. there was evidence like that said this was actually like neg- like had a negative effect on people learning. So I'll fast forward to a 2019 study published by the Anatomical Science Education Journal, um, which looked at online classes. Um, and asked students to first... Very apropos right which now. Which is appropriate, yeah. They asked students to report, because their thinking was like, well, a lot of learning after high school or college takes place generally not in like a formal like learning institution. Mm-hmm. Um, online is where a lot of that can happen. And so they asked students to report their preference. They had to pick visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or reading and writing, report their preference, and then they were monitored as they prepared for tests. That was it. They just said their preference. And then and then they just they had to be monitored and prepared for tests. Okay. Um, interesting to note, most students, they could pick however many they wanted. Most students did not just pick just one. No, like very few people learning just said, styles. I'm only a visual learning. Yeah. yeah. They did not just pick one learning style. The data came out, 70% of the students did not predominantly use their preferred learning style. Wow. 70%. So to give you an example, a student who said their primary learning style is visual, in that case, they actually prepared in ways that were often not visual. Mm -hmm. 70% of those participants went against what they said they actually preferred. Which goes with one thing we know about a lot of people is like often what we think is best for us isn't. And often we do things that are contradictory to what we think we are going to do. Yeah. Uh, we are bad at predicting our own behavior often. 
So you might be thinking, okay, what about the 30% who said, I am this type of learner and they studied that way? They score no better than those who did not um, do that. Okay. So the 70% or the 30%, it just didn't matter. But you'd think if if there was evidence for learning styles that they would have done really well because their how they prepared and their learning style were matched up. Right. So they should have just done great. Which, which brings me back to Margaret and parallel universe <laughs> parallel universe Margaret. Mm-hmm. You prepare through a lot of reading and writing. Mm-hmm. There are other people who prepare through a lot more kinesthetic or visual means. Mm-hmm. Those work for them because that is they you know uh, train themselves and like uh, honed their like practice and got better at it over and over. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the way they did it. It was how they like perfected their ability to learn. Um, so, which is to say there is no learning style. Mm-hmm. When someone says that, when you find yourself saying it, you can <laughs> say to them, Hey, uh, it, it's not a thing. No, no, you, you should be a little kinder about it. Hey, right? Hey, hey, check out episode 38. I've done pure in your life. And I'll be like, what? And then you run away. Um, and I'll just leave you with this. You might be thinking, well, that's baloney or fine, but how do I learn then? Uh-huh. Camden. And then I would say. This person is so sure of themselves. Yeah. So. Well, if you're so smart, then how will I learn? A mm-hmm. um, couple of resources from Scientific American and the University of New Brunswick. Uh, these are the four-ish five that have like the biggest impact statistically from research. Uh, practice testing. Yeah. Literally practice quizzing yourself. Mm-hmm. Did you used to do that? Yep. Yep. Uh, this is also known as recall practice. Basically all the tests that people take, you are generally not allowed to have the notes. So you have to remember the information. Mm-hmm. Your brain gets better at remembering when you practice remembering. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. And it is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, spacing out your studying. Sorry, college students. <laughs> Cramming does not work. work. Maybe that is for another day. Um, I think that one's a little more. I think people know it doesn't, but, but they, they do don't it. have a choice. Yeah, at that uh, point, spacing out your studying forces your brain to uh, put things into longer term memory. Um, explaining in your own words. Mm-hmm. In your own words. Mm-hmm. Old Margaret writing down her notes verbatim probably wasn't they as effective. They were my own words at the beginning. I just right. wrote my own words over and over again. But if you stop memorizing your own words and try to keep rephrasing yeah. it, that is good. Yeah. Um, and then something called interleaving. This is a process where you mix multiple subjects or topics um, in at once rather than going one topic at a time. Oh, to kind of create like... Instead of individual facts, creating like concepts and remembering themes and things. Right. It sounds like. Because a a good quiz of whether someone is intelligent is not, can they only spout out about a very specific topic, but can they put a lot of topics together? Mm-hmm. Those are the people who are also going to most likely remember that information the longest. Makes sense. Um, so there you go. Learning styles are not a thing. They are not a thing. <laughs> you are still allowed to learn. But it doesn't matter if you think you are a visual learner or reading, writing, kinesthetic. It it all doesn't matter. Just think about how you learn. Get better at it. Nice, Camden. Yeah. I'll tell past Margaret about that. Um, And past past Margaret's teachers, too. Yeah. And parallel universe Margaret. (laughs) And regular now Margaret, too. Sure. Um, Well, it's interesting you hearkened back to elementary school, Camden, because... My 
misconception sort of begins with a story in elementary school. Oh my gosh, story. So I don't have a lot of phobias. I love things like snakes and sharks that most people don't like. Um, I like spiders. Not afraid of those animals. I love them very much. There is one animal that I just don't, I just, I've tried and I just can't, you get the, I can't do the it. Heebie-jeebies. I get the heebie-jeebies. Even doing research for this, I had a real hard time. Cats. No, I love cats. Why are they so squirmy? No, Mowgli. I love, <laughs> I love cats. No, um, but it is squirmy. Yep. It is worms. It is worms. And in elementary school, one of my friends um, figured out that I was scared of worms. And so invited me one recess to the swing set where she had put a just like dozens of worms on dozens. the swing that I was supposed to sit in. Did you not look? No, I, I did not sit down on it. I uh, saw it and was like, we're not friends wow. anymore. Not quite that much. Love we, love <laughs> digging into childhood trauma. Let's keep it going. We, we stayed friends for a while, but that what was... What would your mom think That was that real record? rude of her to do. But anyway, but I always have said like, okay, I don't like worms, but I really respect what they do for the environment. I, you know, I will still move them with a stick off a hot sidewalk. I know they're very important. But are they? But are they? So my misconception is that earthworms are always good for the soil and the environment. <gasps> I first got really scared because I thought you were going to do the earthworms cut in half, which our great friends, me and Riley, no, no, no. did earlier. Yes. Yes, and then I thought you were going to say, are earthworms just gross and not helpful? And I was going to be like, uh, they're good for the soil. Are they, though? <sighs> are they good for the soil? So let's get into it. My sources are the podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, which I love. You should all check out if you love random facts and misconceptions, not just science, but like historical things like that. No Such Thing as a Fist. A uh, fish. <laughs> we'll find no other such things. thing as a fish. Um, University of Minnesota Extension, Great love Lakes them. Worm Watch, greatlakeswormwatch.com. Michigan. Worm Watch 2020. <laughs> Michigan State University's Christine Curell, Science Friday on NPR, their interview with Peter Groffman, the conversation article by Catherine M. Flynn, and finally, Ashley Hamer for the Discovery Channel. So, this idea that earthworms are always good for the soil and the environment. How did it start? Well, kind of like yours, kind of like many of these misconceptions, it started with anecdotal evidence because... Sometimes, not always, earthworms are found in good soil. So people are like, they must be creating it because they're eating it, they're creating it, they're helping it out. But, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thinking, like, I can't think of whenever I've seen them, they've been in soil. Mm -hmm. And I just assume, like, well, you live there, so you must, you're fine. They do live there. That is true. (laughs) That is not a misconception. I guess I just thought, like, well, I don't know, the soil's here, Uh and they live there, so it must be fine. Yep. But again, it comes back to correlation does not equal causation. So just because two things are happening at the same time doesn't mean one caused the other one. Mm. So why isn't it true? Why are earthworms not always good for 
the soil. So to be clear, mm-hmm. and maybe you're going to get into this, mm-hmm. they are sometimes good, sometimes. which feels right. Sometimes. We think maybe. Whoa. I'll, I'll provide the caveat that there is still research being done about this, as there is for all of our things that we talk about. Um, and right now it's kind of a mixed bag on whether or not it, they ever are good for the soil or if they just live there. So as a science teacher, mm-hmm. I have taught for a long time that uh-huh. earthworms decompose mm-hmm. a lot of things in the ground. They sure do. But should de- they be doing that? We'll, we'll talk about it. They do it. They do you do mean, it. Is it good is for it the good? soil that they're Don't doing know. it? Okay. So um, there was recently research done to see if, um, and this is mentioned in the Peter Groffman interview on NPR, research was recently done to see if changing the number of earthworms in soil increased the soil's quality. There's no change in soil quality with a number of earthworms. Didn't matter if there were none. Didn't matter if there were 10. No difference in soil quality. So there's that. Now, on one hand, we have Michigan State University's water quality educator, Christina Curell, who says that earthworms improve the structure of the soil. They improve plant growth. They improve nutrient usage. They improve water movement. Those things are true sometimes, but they also have negative consequences, which I'll talk about. Can I ask, just Mm -hmm. because I think you just hit it, when we talk soil quality, yeah. that feels like, I'm sure most regular folks out there aren't like, soil quality. I know, like, what what makes quality soil? Quality soil means, like, they're, from my understanding, and I'm not a soil expert, some people are, but my understanding is that it has the nutrients that plants need to grow. Okay. And an improved soil would be like, it's got more of those nutrients and less of the bad stuff. Basically, like if plants, those things can survive in it, Mm -hmm. it's good soil. It's good soil. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So Peter Groffman, senior scientist at the Institute of Ecosystem Studies in Millbrook, New York, disagrees with uh, Ms. Curell from Michigan State. And so do ecologists and soil researchers. So for example... The statement is made that, well, worms help aerate the soil, which can be true if you've got like a dirt path that's constantly getting like trod on by people and it's just getting compacted and compacted and compacted. Sure. Yeah. They're crawling through it. That helps. Okay. But in say a place where people don't go or where cars don't drive, the soil aerates itself. It it doesn't need much help with that. So worms aren't really adding to those environments. Um, the other problems are that, yes, the worms help move water through the soil, but they can also make that happen too fast. So the plants don't get a chance to absorb it. And it also can move nutrients out of that area. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when I think of an earthworm moving through the soil, Mm -hmm. I think of a very simplified model, which is a little... Yep. Tube being created through the I think ground. that's I think that's that's the sense I get that that's okay not wrong no I just like that's my picture yeah. so like it's like a little slide mm-hmm. that the water will just shoot past the roots yes okay exactly which can happen um, here's the other big kicker about earthworms is that I'm really struggling right now this is I know, blowing I'm so sorry. my mind I'm so sorry in North America 
the vast majority of earthworms are invasive species. That was going that was gonna be my question. I'm like yep. but then how come they've been here forever? Shouldn't the plants have evolved to be okay with those guys? So I love this quote from Hamer who said, quote, if you live in North America, you've probably never seen a native earthworm, end quote. Gauntlet down. Yeah. Um, most, many native earthworm species went extinct about 10,000 years ago in no. North America when the glaciers were moving through. I missed my shot. Yeah. Ice, Not necessarily. Ice worms? There still are some native species. Oh. Just the majority are not native. I hope we learn where to find them. How do you think that worms got, invasive worms got here in the 1600s is when they started coming here? Jet skis. They were not on jet skis. Oh, okay. that's cute though. 1600s? Uh-huh. Oh. Ooh, colonialism mm-hmm. strikes again. Yep. So... They would be in like the ballast of a ship, which I did not know what that meant. That's that's like the area of the ship that's full of either water or, in this case, soil that helps yeah. balance the ship. Well, I think there's a lot of maritime rules that say like ships have to like uh, drain or like empty yes. their ballast. Now there Nowadays. are. Right, Nowadays. Right, 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 right. But, but for the same reason, mm-hmm. like invasive species coming around the world. Yes. Okay. Ships ships really... I say to the aquarium expert. Yes. <laughs> ships... Margaret, did you know that? Yes. Thank you. Ships are really good at causing invasive species. Really, Ooh. really good. Um, so is colonialism. Yes. And people would also bring plants from where they had been before, and sure. that soil would have earthworms in it. Oh, yeah. Today, worms are still being imported and moved around, both on purpose and accidentally, because... They're transported accidentally, still on ships and things like that. They're also um, in mulch, bait comes to mind, compost piles. Those are all things that people buy and move and stuff like that. Yes, you look confused again. No, now I'm just thinking about (laughs) vermiculture, which Mm -hmm. is like people like making their own compost with a bunch of earthworms mm-hmm. in there. We'll get there. <gasps> Thank God. We'll get there. I have, oh I have God, a solution. You I have a solution everything. for you. Look at this crazy patient. She's got it going on. <laughs> so the, the place that earthworms are the worst or the place that they are the worst for is forests. When we think about soil, we think like, oh, places need earthworms. Like good soil needs earthworms. Habitats need earthworms to survive. No, they don't. After that whole glacier movement, when those native earthworms were extinct, the forests did okay. They were fine. They were doing well. And then the invasive earthworms came in. And, you know, when you, when you think of going on a hike, you think of the trees, of course, but then you think there's all that leaf litter on the ground. And it's like a thick layer of decomposing leaves, just detritus, organic material. And that is there for a reason, um, or at least it's it's there and it's helpful. It um, helps to foster new trees, so seedlings. It helps them grow, gives them a safe environment to do that. It protects the roots of trees, and it also protects growing plants like lilies when they're growing. It also provides a habitat for amphibians and for bugs, too. Earthworms. No. Oh. Because what did you say earthworms like to eat? The soil. They love to eat soil. What else? Leaves. Yeah. Decompose yeah. things. Yeah, they, they do that. So they can come in, non-native earthworms come in, and can make a forest floor go from a thick layer of that organic material, those leaves, that dirt, 
to a bare soil spot in about four years. Which is too fast. It is too fast. The, they shouldn't be doing it at all. want that to be a slow decomposition. For yes. And they want it. to have time to reproduce like leaves and to re, um, resupply all, the, all that detritus because it needs to be there for growth and for habitat. Well, the trees don't want that. Trees don't know they're doing it. Trees don't know. No, this is all but yes, I'm putting. For the ecosystem. Mm-hmm, you got mm-hmm. it. The ecosystem needs it. So that's not good. You really do need that thick organic layer to foster new growth, mm-hmm. a healthy forest. And also, um, research suggests that... Earthworms are mean. No. <laughs> there's no, again, there's no intent in these Oh, things. okay. Um, that earthworms' presence, these invasive earthworms' presence, can be linked to the spread of more invasive species. Because they're changing, their presence is changing the habitat through things like raising the pH of the soil, moving nutrients around, where the native plants and the native wildlife aren't adapted to that. are not adapted to those changes. Uh-huh. So you could even see the decline of native birds, of amphibians, and some plants like those lilies and those all seedlings. from little earthworms. All from earthworms. Um, and I don't think I need to tell you in particular why we need healthy forests, but. Um, something I hadn't thought about is, you know, trees are pulling that carbon dioxide out of the air, Mm -hmm. which is good. Yes. They're being a sink for that carbon dioxide and they're putting it in the soil, which is okay. But then when earthworms come around and they root through it, that CO2 is being re-released into the atmosphere. Yeah. Not good. Not good. But it is kind of crazy to think of all that impact that those little earthworms have. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to this question, Kevin. Are they all bad? They all bad? No, they're not all bad. Don't worry about it. Some are nice guys. They're trying their best. (laughs) They didn't ask to be important. They didn't. And again, this goes back to like an invasive species, like a lionfish. We might think like, oh, they got to get out of Florida. They have to, that's not where they belong. There is a place where they do belong. So if you're in Europe, for example, it's okay that you've got European nightcrawlers. That's where they started. That's where they live. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Good job, Europe. But they shouldn't be where humans have taken them um, in some cases. So they're not all bad. Not all earthworms cause significant harm, like I've talked about. There are about 5,000 species of earthworms on Earth. And only about 16, scientists think, 16 of those species are doing damage to ecosystems. Two that stand out are an Asian worm called the Alabama jumper, which sounds like the stuff of my nightmares (laughs) because it does jump. I was going to say, is it? I'll YouTube it later. That's challenging to think about. And then the one I just mentioned, the European nightcrawler. Um. They are a common bait worm. Which, which I assume people just shorten to nightcrawlers. Nightcrawlers. Because I hear yeah. nightcrawlers all yep. the time. Yeah, okay. they're common, commonly used in bait all over the country. They can get up to eight inches long. So those are the two that... <laughs> Listeners, just so you know, my brain didn't work for a second because Margaret held her arms like three feet <laughs> apart. I was illustrating that they eight, were long. eight inches long. <laughs> and for my brain thought she meant as long as her no. hands were apart. And I almost cried. I was, Illustrating the concept of length. Got it. But we've talked about a lot of these invasive species. What can we do about it? What can we do about it? Well, climate change gets involved in the spread of non-native species, including these worms. So anything that we can do to reduce the impact of climate change will be one thing that will help reduce it. So, Kim, and there are 
thousands of things to do to reduce climate change. What's one thing that comes to mind? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> wow. Just getting that question, uh, you can reduce, like, the amount of waste you produce in your house, like food waste. Yep. You can reduce the amount of water you use, the amount of electricity you use. Buy local the, produce. Yeah. Not, eat, not driving around. Meat. Yeah, there's thousands yeah, of things. So, yeah. you can, anything you do to curb climate change curbs invasive species. But the the hard fact is that Oh, yeah, don't eat meat. Don't get in a car. Don't, don't get in an airplane. Yeah. 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 Th- which, those which ones are more important. I don't want to get on an airplane right now anyway. Well, okay. But it's hard to take out invasive species once they've settled in because there will always be consequences to that, side effects sure. to that removal. They've been here for a while. They've been here for a while. They're probably here to stay, for better or worse, depending on the species. What we can do is stop their spread. So here are some tips. A lot of them are from the Great Lakes Worm Watch. Again, Great Lakes. GreatLakesWormWatch.com. So you, when you're done with your your bait, because that's probably how most people interact with mm-hmm. nightcrawlers specifically, don't dump that bait in the woods. Don't dump the leftover bait in the lake. Don't dump it on the shore. Throw it away. Like, throw it away. Got it. Um, I, what's that face? When you go on that time machine to tell Cass <laughs> Margaret. About learning styles? You need to find me and uh, former Camden dad. and... Pest Camden, past dad, uh-huh. and tell him and me, don't do don't, that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, if you use earthworms in your compost, which I told you we'd get back around to, the way that you can do this is freeze the compost that you're going to use at least a week or more before you use it. Um. Because freezing will kill off any earthworms or earthworm egg cases that oh. are in that compost, yep. which they mentioned, like, it's easier to do in the winter. Got it. It's a complicated process, but it's worth doing to make sure that you're not spreading that those earthworms sense. into okay. your yard. Yeah. Especially I didn't even think about the eggs because I'm part of me was foolishly like, okay, well, I'll just, like, pick Se- out the earthworms. The, yeah. yeah. Nope. It's hard to know. It's yeah. hard to know. Don't take soil, compost, mulch, or leaves from one place to another unless you are a hundred percent sure that there are not worms or egg cases in them. Um, if you have a vehicle like an ATV, for example, that has tires that hold on to dirt, mm-hmm. wash them off before you use your vehicle in another place. The same kind of goes for hiking boots. Yep. Wash your hiking boots off before you go hiking somewhere different. Okay. You don't want to be tracking those things. Um, and again, check out Great Lakes Worm Watch. Great resource. Those those tips are not just for earthworms. That helps with all invasive species, but it will help with earthworms too. And if you want to know more about other invasive species in your state, in your area, you can check out your state's Department of Fish and Wildlife website. They should have resources to, to check out. So on the whole, worms are not necessarily doing terrible damage, the majority of them, but... They're not They're good not for as the good soil as you think. like we think. They're not as good as you think. Still oh. rescue them from sidewalks. Be a, be, a, be a good steward of wildlife. But but then throw it away. Then throw it away. Yeah. <laughs> so rescue. Yeah, now that I've said that out loud. It's a hard thing. It really is a hard thing because we've come to see them as part of like nature. You know, yeah. if you asked a kid to draw like a healthy yeah. ecosystem, I'm sure a worm would be there. So it's a, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. But Yep. Sorry, Camden. I didn't mean to shatter all your um, soil. I just have to go apologize to several thousand students who have drawn a lot of incorrect ecological <laughs> yeah. pyramids. Be right back. Be right back. Okay. 
All right, Kim is back. back. So we're going to now finish up by talking about what we've been consuming. So reading, watching, otherwise taking in this week. Cameron, you want to go first? Um, I am consuming something uh, that, Margaret, you introduced me to. uh, The Picture This Plant Identifier app Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, is amazing. It is, we've talked about, I think the Cornell bird ID before. Yes. The Merlin bird ID. Merlin bird Cornell. ID mm-hmm. from Cornell mm-hmm. um, where you just plug in what this, a bird you see looks like and it tells you what that bird is and a little bit more about it. And it sounds this, you just take a picture of a plant and it tells you what that plant is. And it is amazing. It is magical. It is. Um, I took it on a walk today outside and just oh, really? took a picture of some of the things around just so I could try to start learning. Because um, there was a very funny meme going around on Twitter that was about things people think um, like certain professions are good at that they're not. And one of them is being a biology teacher. People were joking about how everyone thinks they have a working catalog <laughs> yes. of the entire evolutionary kingdom trees. Yep. and your, your parents and my parents and other family and oh. friends will often ask you what they are. And if, if I feel like if we're on the prairie, there's a... Better chance. Better chance. Because that's what you studied, but it doesn't yeah. work for everything. Yeah. No, I, I have friends here in Seattle, which I am not from, and they'll say, what is that thing? And I will say, I've lived in here potentially less long than you have. You have a much better <laughs> guess at what this random fern is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that, um, I also recently started, I followed, I'm getting to Instagram because I'm cool now. And uh, very cool. Started following Ajuma Aluo's Instagram, who wrote, uh, So You Want to Talk About Race, um, also from Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently had a post about colorism. So, learned a lot about colorism this week uh, the practice of biasing yourself towards lighter skin tones. Yeah. Um, and the privilege that comes with having a lighter skin tone, even if you are black or not white. Um, so, super informative. She super makes everything really understandable. Um, encourage you to continue learning and follow her um, and expand those that you follow on social media. Margaret, what are you consuming? Mine are kind of along the same lines. Um, I've been listening with you to the podcast 1619, which is from the New York Times. It's hosted by Nicole Hannah-Jones. And it talks about not only the history of enslaved people in America, but also about how truly that history permeates every single sector of our lives Mm -hmm. in ways I thought I was fairly informed and kind of was aware of the big ones, but I was not, I was not. Um, it, it truly is everywhere, everywhere to this day. And it really does talk about how enslaved people were the catalyst for democracy in America. Mm -hmm. So if you have a chance, I would really strongly recommend listening to 1619. I, and it's like Oh yeah. It's like a beautiful story and narration that Hannah does. Like it's, it's besides incredibly informative and powerful. It just, what's the auditory equivalent of like stunning. I'll just say stunning. It's stunning. It's stunning. And yeah. So mind blowing. And I say mind blowing. It shouldn't be mind blowing. We should be aware of these things, but it really does highlight the things that have been covered up um, in my education as a white middle-class woman, things that were skipped over, things that were, just never discussed. So really strongly recommend 1619. 
Great. Well, thank you so much for listening today. If you liked this episode or any others, please rate and leave us a quick review. Uh, Written reviews help new listeners decide if they want to give us a try, help us out, and new listeners by leaving a quick positive review. Um, if you have a negative review, what you can do is go outside and... Our podcast analytics... No, I had a good one. Oh, I thought you, were, I thought you wanted me to cut <laughs> no, you no, off. No. What you can do, you can go outside, you can dig a tiny hole, find a little worm, whisper that negative review to the worm, oh. they'll take it from there. Oh, yeah. They know where we live. <laughs> yeah, we, got, we came for them now. <laughs> yeah. All right. That was great. Sorry to Thank you. you. Um, Trust me. Our podcast <laughs> analytics, uh, don't tell us names. Uh, your privacy is safe with yourself. Uh, but they told us locations. I read last week where our top listeners were from, and the top listening locations changed, so I thought I would read it for a second week in a row. And this time, our top listeners did not come from North America. Really? They came from across the pot. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I'm not going to insult anyone by doing an accent here. Please. Uh our top listeners this week came from Dublin, Ireland, and Cape Town, South Africa. Which is interesting because Dublin, Ireland is the place I would most want to live if I could live uh, abroad. And Cape Town is the place I would most want to visit because I've never been there before. Yeah. So if you are a listener right now in Dublin, Ireland, or Cape Town, South Africa, write to us at leg at gmail.com. Say hi to us. Also, hi. 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 How you doing? <laughs> I didn't do an accent, so that's cool. Ugh. Uh, you can hear more content like this from our sister wife podcast from U to O hosted by my co-host Margaret. That's me. Don't pee on your leg and other scientific misconceptions is a podcast produced by two birds, one scone. If you want to find out more about what you can do every single day to conserve our environment, you can visit two birds, one scone.org. Our original music is by Camillo. And as always, if you have scientific misconceptions that you want us to explain or you want to provide feedback to us, email us at don'tpeeonyourleg at gmail.com. Have Have a a great great week. week.